0: Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Sound Practice Podcast. I'm your
1: co-host, Mike Sikopoulos. And I'm your other co-host, Cheryl Toth. And wait, Mike, we should tell the folks this is actually kind of a relaunch of Sound Practice, right?
0: You know what? That's true, Tothie. But can I call you, Tothi, on the show, just like we do in real life?
1: Oh, yes, please. I prefer it. Only my mother calls me Cheryl.
0: Oh, God, I don't want to be confused with your mother. No, okay, no, Tothi. No. Uh, <clears throat> it is then. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. We're actually uh, reviving sound practice, which was way ahead of its time when Nancy Collins, your friend and mine, who is the president and publisher of Green Branch uh, Publishing, launched it back all the way in 2005 in the really early days of podcasting.
1: Yeah, and that's before subscribing to podcasts was as easy as it is today, and not so many folks found Sound Practice back then, which is unfortunate because Nancy recorded loads of great interviews with authors, experts, company leaders. I I remember because I used to listen to them, Um, but the show was put on hiatus in 2010. And now Green Branch is relaunching the Sound Practice brand, and I'm thrilled to be co-hosting this lovely show with you, Mike.
0: Look, I feel exactly the same way. We've been having a lot of fun, haven't we? Queuing things up the last few months, interviewing some smart people uh, that are going to be featured on upcoming shows. It's been fun.
1: I agree. And I think before we hop step it into talking about how to find and work with attorneys and accountants, which is our topic for today, I thought it'd be good to let listeners know just who these two cheeky co-hosts are. So first off, I'd like to let people know that you, Mike Sakopoulos, are a healthcare attorney with a keen sense of the law and a sharp wit, in my opinion. Your law firm is in Terre Haute, Indiana, but you have clients nationwide, and you speak regularly at physician um, and practice management
0: conferences. Um, Yeah, that, that, that yeah. that sounds right so far. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And Mike, you're also the founder and president of the Medical Risk Institute, and I thought it'd be best if you tell us a little bit about what that company does.
0: Well, thanks. So Medical Risk Institute was created to identify and help eliminate or mitigate risks that healthcare providers uh, deal with, typically on a daily basis, and these can be uh, of compliance type of nature oftentimes.
1: Oh. So it sounds like you're focused um, on compliance and helping practices with that means it's um, well, in particular, I know that you, you are expert, your expertise is in security and privacy issues and you also do a lot of contracting and Oh, with regard to the security and privacy and, and uh, digital compliance, don't you have a book coming out soon on those topics?
0: I do. It's uh, I'm very excited. The title of the book is "Tweets, Likes, and Liabilities," and it's a look at electronic risks that uh, practices and providers uh, face uh, today. Oh, that's so,
1: great! I, I, every practice needs that.
0: Well, you know what? En- enough about enough about me, uh, Tothi. Let, let's let's talk about you for a minute. We've known each other for years now, haven't we?
1: Yeah, I, that is true.
0: And I think we first met when you were a consultant doing practice management and coding education uh, work with uh, Karen Upco and Associates. You were focused on revenue cycle, practice operations, and financial management, as I recall.
1: Mm-hmm. And you
0: used to speak at the same conferences that that I was at. I was always fearful that you'd have the speaking slot, you know, next to me uh, uh. <laughs> and, and draw off my my audience. And and you. <laughs> written uh, loads of, of articles and white papers on topics that are uh, right in the the bailiwick of uh, sound practice uh, podcast so that's very lucky for for me and for our, our listeners so yeah, well,
1: you yeah, have a, yeah, a very good memory right. and and you and I have collaborated on some things for Green Branch Publishing um, a couple of times over the years and things for the Journal of Medical Practice Management and, and other things and yeah I all of those things are true um, and i um, also, worked for several healthcare technology companies as well, um, but I've always worked with physicians.
0: Right. And, and so now you're a healthcare business writer and speaker, right?
1: Yes. Uh, that's my day job when I'm not creating these fun little podcast recordings with you, Mike.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, we've uh, <clears throat> been spending some time getting a number of these podcasts pulled together. And Would you agree that our our goal is to make mundane management legal, uh, revenue cycle topics, these kind of things that people are, oh, yawn, trying to make them interesting for our audience, right?
1: Yeah. Yes. We're going to try to do that. And and, uh, we're also going to try in each episode, um, not only to make you laugh a few times, but give um, at least a few practical tips, you know, the pragmatic advice, things that people can implement quickly. Um, and we'll have resources and links in the show notes of of each episode to make that easier. And those show notes are available at our website, soundpracticepodcast.com. And of course, um, we'll sprinkle in some good energy and a little humor as often as we can.
0: We do not want to make uh, anyone fall asleep while at the wheel. I understand a lot of people will be listening to this as they, they commute. And so uh, all our listeners, we're going to, um, every effort to keep you engaged on this. So um, now I need to tell you that with each episode, uh, Tothi, we're going to have a word of the show. And that's just, it's a segment that warms my heart.
1: (laughs) Well, that's because you, my friend, are a word nerd. And I think you have the t-shirt to prove it. And actually, Uh, I know you do because I bought it for you, that uh, word nerd shirt.
0: Uh, guilty as charged, yes. Uh, and I like to wear, I like to wear that uh, shirt to my my son's high school events. You know, it totally embarrasses him, uh, which of course is the goal of any good good father.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure he truly appreciates that.
0: Oh, he does. And you know, <clears throat> I can be a ass when I want to be.
1: <laughs> yes, that's what we know and love about you, Mike. And for warning everybody about this on the front end.
0: <laughs> sure thing. So with that snide comment, I say we've given everybody enough of our backstory, and we need to uh, kick off our first episode, I Got a Guy, How to Hire Lawyers and Accountants.
1: Yep, I think we've covered all the housekeeping, my friends, so on with the show. So Mike, let's kick things off by talking about attorneys. We got a guy that is our in-house counsel for this episode, you. You're the guy. I mean, who better than a lawyer to advise on how to hire a lawyer? Maybe you'll even give us some tips on how to save a little money on fees.
0: Well, let's see what we can do about that, Tothi. Uh, But first, you ever heard the, the old uh, joke about the lawyer that represents himself?
1: Well, um, honestly, I've heard so many lawyer jokes, it's hard to remember if I've heard that one. All right. Well,
0: so the lawyer that represents himself has a fool for a client goes the joke.
1: Uh, but, in my,
0: but in my experience, really, clients are more likely to get fooled than to, to be uh, fooled when dealing with attorneys.
1: Well, what is it that they say? The only good attorney is my attorney? Or is it that the only good attorney is a dead attorney?
0: Oh, ouch. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be the bigger person. going to let that one just go on by. Okay. I'm not going to launch into the speech about the sanctity of the legal system and how my fellow members of the bar fight long and hard for justice. I'm
1: not going to oh do my. it. Oh, my. My tiny violin is playing for you and your colleagues right now, Mike. You should see it. Seriously, mm-hmm. <laughs> every practice does need a good lawyer, though, and a sharp accountant as well. Um, and the hard part is finding the right people and knowing how to work with them. That's
0: so true. So we want to get uh, practices going the, the right direction. Let me just tell you about this friend I've got. He's a really gifted facial plastic surgeon, super nice guy. And he was setting up his practice many years ago. And like anyone else needed an attorney to do the incorporation review office space lease kind of things, normal stuff, right? Yeah. And, it took about 3 months for the attorneys uh, to to help him get through all of this and at the end was presented with a bill for wait for it $36,000. <gasps> It's like some kind of decimal error, right? Oh he walked into the law firm, smiled, and they just kind of moved the decimal point over to the right. <laughs> Brutal.
1: Oh man, that does not sound good. So tell me, my attorney friend, what should a practice look for in a healthcare attorney? Not not, not the attorney that moves decimal, decimal points like that, but what <laughs> should they expect this person to do for them?
0: Well, okay, let's, let's first acknowledge it's not as easy as you might think just to pick the right the right person. Unlike physicians that label themselves as an orthopedist or a neurosurgeon, plastic surgeon, right? attorneys just slap their name on the firm and you have no idea what the area of expertise is. So there's going to be a little bit of, of digging and investigation to find uh, mm-hmm. what type of uh, attorney, you know what you need, you need a healthcare attorney, but how, who are the healthcare attorneys in your neighborhood? And that's going to take a little bit of work. Yeah. So
1: yeah and 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 I think there's some common mistakes that they can avoid too um on the front end, so that they just you know avoid those altogether, like you got any juicy horror stories for us yeah so there there's
0: always the the horror story that uh you think someone is is a good good attorney and you hire them, and they really don't do your area of law. they may be you know just great at doing something else, but you don't need a criminal lawyer, you need someone who's a healthcare lawyer, right mm-hmm. so Find find the right uh, find the right person, and that starts by doing the right type of research. And what we're going to see is uh, people will naturally we all do this, right? We ask our friends and colleagues, "Hey, who do you use? Do you have a guy, all right?" And so that that's where it starts. And I think that, that, um, <clears throat> that that's a good a good place to start. But at the end of the day, that's not not sufficient. We've got to we've got to expand the uh, the search a little bit uh, further.
1: Well, I mean, you talked about starting with asking some physician friends, but is there is there a classified for lawyers out there? I mean, where else should they look?
0: Okay, let's just pause it right here, please. No one out there use some kind of classified service for finding your 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 attorney. That is a a, a sure recipe for for disaster. So, okay, let let me give you the the source that you want, right? So, certainly, friends, colleagues, great. Um, but there is a service called Martindale Hubble, and we're going to put the link to the the Martindale Hubble website in the show notes for people. And this service ranks attorneys, but it's done by fellow attorneys, people that hopefully can honestly evaluate someone's, uh, legal ability and their ethics. You get two, two letter uh, grades from Martindale Hubble and the highest ranking is an A rated AV, which is, um, a is for the the ability and V is for the the ethics of the the person and that's the highest grade that martindale hubbell gives and less than 5% of practicing attorneys are are av rated but that's the place to to start to look to find out the ability of the person that you are you are considering or at least a category and they're going to rank people also by the area of specialty so you can look for healthcare attorneys that are av rated on martindale hubbell that would be a great place to start free of charge.
1: Oh, that's good. So we'll put that in the show notes, the link to that resource. And uh, they're looking for a, are you saying a V like Victor?
0: A, yes. Okay. A which is,
1: is interesting because you say that's for the ethics uh, rating, which is V. Why is it not E? But that's probably a topic for another show. Um, if
0: only I could explain. <laughs> I don't know. Okay.
1: Oh, they well, didn't we'll
0: consult me early we, on. We'll just uh, let that
1: one go. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's say we, we've maybe identified Maybe one or two from colleagues we trust, and then we've checked them out on Martindale Hubble, maybe we identified another one who's an a V rating. Um, now, what do we want to do what What well, kind of well, questions should be asked so we
0: 're that- triangulating in on this, right? So I think the next step is uh, we, we actually need to to speak with uh, the person that we're we're considering because it doesn't matter how great the attorney is if you don't feel comfortable with with him or her, that you don't have a good rapport. And I think, by the way, I view that across the board, whether it's a medical provider, we'll be talking about accountants, Mm -hmm. you're going to hire a professional, you want to feel comfortable uh, with that person beyond their actual skills and and knowledge. And the only way you can do that is to have a talk, right?
1: Yeah, well, you have to be able to be comfortable picking up the phone with them or be able to sit in the same room with them to do quarterly reviews and things like that. So yeah, the relationship's very important.
0: Absolutely. So... <clears throat> um, so that's, I think, the first part, and that's where you're going to need to have a um, have a meeting. And you don't have to spend a lot of time. This doesn't mean that you have to go on vacation with the person or something to really know them. But, uh, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, you're going to know what you need um, to know from the person and if you're going to be able to work with him or her.
1: Yep. And I, I also think it's important to look on Yelp just to see how people locally – what their experience has been. They they may or may not have a lot of online ratings, but I gotta believe, I mean, everybody's out there on Yelp or Google reviews or or something, right? Isn't there a... I, I,
0: I'm with you 100% on that one. And what I use those for is really to feel how well these, uh, the attorney interacts with, with his or her clients, right? You can use Martindale Hubble for their actual ability and, and ethics, all of that's very helpful but are they user friendly? And that's what you're gonna pick up with a Google or Yelp review.
1: Yeah, so it's like kind of like bedside manners, manner for attorneys, kind of like courtside manner or something. Courtside manner. Yeah, yeah. courtside manner, right, Conference okay. Conference room material, yes. yeah. Exactly, okay. exactly, so uh, okay, right. so th- that's good. So we've done, uh, we've done a little, we're triangulating as you said, I love that, um, on uh, talking to them and getting some referrals, making sure they've got the qualifications and the right ratings. Um, so, now we've, we've found one or two that we kind of like and before we get into the whole letter of engagement and things like that, what about the charges? I mean, that's the million dollar question. What, what is a good attorney going to cost us and what's, it, what's realistic to pay every year, month for good representation?
0: Okay. So, like any good attorney, I'm going to give you the answer, it depends. <laughs> Right, So it does depend though, and, and, and all, all, all jokes aside, depends on where, where geographically you're located. Uh, I will tell you that uh, the rates in Terre Haute, Indiana are significantly less than the rates in San Francisco or New York City. Makes so sense. geography plays into, into it. The experience of the person uh, plays uh, into it as well. But in, in general, you should expect to pay uh, one of two ways, either on a retainer basis or on an hourly basis and they can be kind of kind of mixed. You can either pay a flat fee for certain services or you can pay for the amount of work by the hour. And either way, this should be clear upfront as to what you're gonna be charged and you should have a written letter of engagement that tells you what the charges are, how frequently you're going to be charged and sets forth the terms of the business relationship. It doesn't have to be complex or multi-page, a simple letter does it. Uh, but you're you're entitled to that, and you should have it for everyone's sake to eliminate confusion.
1: Well, let me and let me ask you something. I've I've heard you talk about this before about uh, almost like a bait and switch feel that some practices will have where they were sold uh, on engaged engaging oh, their yeah. firm by a senior attorney, and then right, right. a different person, a different guy <laughs> or or woman uh, does the work. So. Should that be addressed in the letter of engagement? Or?
0: So, so this, this happens, and the, uh, the, the term for it is a, is a rainmaker, and you have somebody at the firm, with, whether it's a big reputation or uh, whatever reason, is bringing the business in, and, and he or she is bringing in more business than they can do themselves, so then they outsource it to their associates in the, in the firm. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, you thought you had attorney A, but you end up with attorney uh, B. Uh, doing the actual work. And the attorney A just uh, smiles and says hello occasionally and doesn't do any of the work that you thought you were hiring him or her to do. So that's one of the things to be clear up front. If I'm hiring you, are you going to be doing this or are you going to be having others in your firm do the majority of the work?
1: And is that something you want to Get in writing. Is that important, or
0: usually? I, th- I think I think it's it's okay if you have that discussion up front and let people know that it's important. Uh, frankly, it's more of an issue with really larger firms. In smaller okay. communities with smaller firms, uh, there's just not that kind of deep bench at a law firm to to go to. Uh, so it also depends on what size of law firm you're you're dealing with. Okay. Uh, but for your level of comfort, if you want it in writing, then absolutely.
1: Well, and then speaking of. Things in writing. We talk about the letter of engagement. There's also a business associate agreement, right, that we want to get signed.
0: Sure, sure. We want to stay HIPAA compliant, and that means we're going to be getting giving out protected health information (PHI) to our law firm, and our law firm is going to need to have a business associate agreement uh, signed to be compliant.
1: Good. And then I hope that you know, if if the rates are to the liking of the practice and the relationship's good, I really hope that practices will use their attorney as intended or as 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 needed because I found that a lot of physicians won't always contact their attorney on certain things that really they should because they don't want to spend additional money. So maybe that's something that um, could be clarified because I've seen like, for example, the senior partner of a neurosurgery group I worked with, um, we had worked with this practice. There was a billing office person who was just terribly inept. And it took a year for the new administrator that we put in place to get enough of a case against this person to finally let her go. Well, she went behind the administrator's back, asked Dr. Senior, will you please write me a letter of a recommendation? Because oh, no. get another job, right? Oh. And so he wrote this glowing letter. And what happened? She sued for age discrimination.
0: And and, so, and, and, and just use the letter against him, right? Right. The, uh, the kind letter turned, got turned around and was used as to uh, spear the uh, former.
1: Exactly. Employer. So so what oh, we want to do out. is get, get the listeners to understand that, you know, I mean, how many, how many minutes on the phone would that have been if, if somebody would have uh, called? Five,
0: five minutes at most, right? Yeah. Is, is, it, is it all right? Can we do this? Good thing. And somebody would have said, no, no, wait, think about what you're doing. And,
1: exactly. And um, given, um, given him the other side of gone. the coin. Yeah. So, exactly. So, so I just think it's important that again, with the working relationship with your attorney, you understand, um, and maybe even attorneys can do a, a, a better job about saying, you know, these are some of the things that you should be calling us for and don't worry. These are, I don't know, either included or it's just a short call and don't, don't worry. It's not going to be, you know, you won't have to take out a loan <laughs> to pay that I, month's bill,
0: <laughs> something like that. Absolutely. And I've got to say in my experience, um, Things get worse with time if they don't, they don't get uh, addressed, right? So, and, and this is, I try to turn it around for, for folks that are in the, the medical world and say, what if you had a patient that decided that, I don't know, maybe they had uh, some kind of medical condition, a little uh, you know, blood in their, in their urine, and they decide, I don't want to really spend the money with a physician. I think I'll just go to YouTube, try to do this myself, see what happens. And um, six months goes by, and they have a, a much bigger, bigger problem. Same type of thing happens yeah, yeah. Uh, in the legal world, right? So um, this does not get better with time.
1: Yeah, that's, I, I often hear you say that, and that is so true. Um, it's something to think about always in the back of your mind is this is not going to get better with time. It doesn't go away. So it's, it's a good idea to, to call the attorney. Yeah. So good. Well, so um, anything else we should think about? We've got kind of got the written, written terms discussed and the charges and how to work. Any, any other great advice we have about finding that attorney that can really help your practice?
0: I think you want to start early. So i my, my final word on this is the, the time to select attorney is not when you need one. Right? You want to do this upfront because if you have a crisis, you already want to have a relation put in place and what we have just described takes a little bit of time and effort and you don't want to be doing that when you have the uh, the problem facing you. Start Great. ahead.
1: Start ahead. All right. Well, um, with that, I will tell people we've got, we can put that Martindale Hubble link in the show notes. Um, there's also going to be a, what did we put in there, an article from the Journal of Medical Practice Management that I did a few years back on effectively working with healthcare attorneys. That's been graciously provided by Green Branch Publishing um, as a download for you. And uh, thanks, Mike. This was really, I think this is really helpful stuff. Awesome. Thank you. So, Mike, before we talk about hiring accountants, you want to tell us what you chose today for the word of the show? Sure. So, the word
0: of the show is rapscallion. Ooh. A mischievous
1: person. You mean like make sure the attorney you hire is not a rapscallion?
0: Well, I'm not going to go that far because if they are your r- rapscallion, then that might not be all bad. But okay, uh, in general, you probably don't want a rapscallion as uh, as counsel for your practice.
1: Yeah, a mischievous person lurking about as your uh, as your counsel, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So as we move along in this episode, Mike, your challenge, if if you choose to accept it, is to use rapscallion in our next segment.
0: Oh, challenge accepted. Tothi, it's time to turn our attention to the other guy that practices need in their business arsenal, the accountant. Now, I have been on a steep learning curve with accountants. Mm-hmm. I won't say how many accounting firms, double digits, that I have <laughs> tried over the years. Uh, it seems that I have really been gifted with the ability to select the human equivalent of TurboTax.
1: Oh, well, except that you, didn't, you wanted advice, not just calculations.
0: Right. Let me be clear. I want to pay the least amount of tax legally permissible, (laughs) right? And that requires a strategy, not just a calculator.
1: Yeah, well, that's a great segue into this topic, because I've worked with many practices that were paying a lot of money for the human equivalent of TurboTax. I mean, (laughs) basically, they were all calculations and no strategy. And meanwhile, there were cash handling holes that made it easy for employees to steal. The profit and loss statement had general categories. It was impossible to manage from it. And the accountant hadn't taken the time to develop cost centers for like, you know, lab or physical therapy or a satellite office. So so there was no real way to understand if the physicians were making money or losing money in those lines of business.
0: Ooh, that does not
1: sound good. It's not good, but it is common. Physicians hire an accountant to prepare their taxes and loan documents but they rarely ask for financial management advice, business advice, um, about running the practice. And so in that way, the accountant tends to be underutilized as a professional advisor. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of times it's because physicians and managers aren't sure the right questions to ask. And then the physician feels badly like, oh, I should know what to ask. But you know, honestly, when I look at a lot of things that the physicians are handed by the accountant, I have to ask a lot of questions too, because they're just they're just not set up in a way um, that's really useful, some of the reports. So, all right,
0: that that makes sense to me. Now, now tell me more about how the practice should work with their accountant and what should they look for when selecting the accountant? Where, where, where should we start?
1: Well, I think first, like anything, you wanna figure out what you need from the accountant and make a list before you even start looking for people or talking with people. So if you're small, like, two to four doctors, you might be able to do the accounts payable, pay the bills um, in-house, right? And so then the manager is doing it and then they can also use QuickBooks or something and you can generate reports and you don't have to pay anyone to do that. Um, And you're always going to outsource payroll. If anybody out there is doing payroll in-house, do not. You need to use a Paychex or something like that, a service. It's very inexpensive, much more efficient. And if anything, if there are calculations that aren't right, they'll, uh, they'll stand by them and help you um, support those in, in uh, legal, in legal ways too. So in the example of being in a small practice, you'd need an accountant for annual tax returns and loans, maybe the income distribution, but the manager could do much of the rest in house.
0: Okay. So in the example you just gave, the amount uh, that a practice should be spending per month on this is, is a rather small amount, right?
1: Yeah, it's mostly tax prep and by project kind of things. So it would be a few hundred dollars a month depending on the size of practice and, and uh, the volume of things that the practice is uh, paying for.
0: But if we've got a, a larger practice, we're talking about more than five, five providers, let's say, okay. uh, perhaps they sh- could consider outsourcing all bookkeeping to a firm. So the manager can focus on Managing things, right? And in that case, it, it's going to cost more, right? And this is important. They should not pay an accountant uh, hourly a fee for just paying bills or doing things that a bookkeeper uh, does. You want to make sure you're paying a bookkeeper rate uh, for that and um, and for the generation of the reports. Um, do it for administration purposes.
1: Yeah, that's right. So it's administrative, and you would want to pay an appropriate rate for that. And administrative work doesn't carry an advisory rate.
0: Makes sense. What are some of the other needs that the practice might have beyond bookkeeping and, and payroll? I, I see accountants often handle income distribution and, and year-end bonuses and things like pro formas for buying buildings, um, surgery centers, these type of things right?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a small percentage of practices out there that, that actually have somebody a managerial on staff that can run these analyses. So usually it is the accountant. And they do those kinds of things, um, maybe on a by-project basis, um, depending on need, because not everybody needs to buy a building or build an ASC. That
0: makes that makes sense. So let's talk about common mistakes people make when engaging in an accounting uh, firm. Uh, we want to help folks avoid uh, all the costs associated with making a mistake in this uh, this category. Uh, And I'll I'll, I'll start by by telling you that, uh, because I I see this one a lot, that many accountants deliver reports that physicians just don't understand, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. They don't don't understand them. It it comes in, um, they may flip through it, they look at it kind of uh, thinking, I should know what this is. I really don't. Um, and then they don't ask any questions and it gets, it gets filed away. Now, look, if it, if we were dealing with this, if we flipped it around and it was a radiologist and they handed over the study to the patient and said, "Yeah, Hey, what do you think? I mean, that's the equivalent of go fish, right? we got to right. have some interpretation here.
1: That's right. That's right. And um, what should happen is just what you say interpretation, but that has to go both ways because oftentimes the accountant isn't shown any of the reports in the practice management system beyond the monthly revenue report and the AR report. So they don't understand the physician's business beyond taxes and income distribution. Cause that's all, that's the purview they have is just into those two things. So that leads um, to another really big mistake.
0: Oh, okay. Mistake number two, do tell.
1: So I think not asking the accountant to give input to the business is for example, things like not asking for input on the budget which is something that accountants are quite good at, and it's really helpful to have them work with the manager and the physicians on that. Every practice needs a budget. And then the other thing is um, not giving input to the practice's cash handling procedures. Now, Mike, this one is really critical because what happens is you end up seeing holes in those procedures, and those holes make it possible to embezzle.
0: Whoa, that sounds like a total rapscallion move to me, Tothi. Can you give me uh, give me more?
1: Yeah, but before I do, nice word points, Sokopolis. I love it. Um, uh, I thought you'd like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, well, embezzlement is really a topic for its own show. But um, and hey, maybe we should add that to the list. But here. Let me tell you about a couple of schemes I've seen. Mostly you see it at the front desk, like forgetting to close out encounter counter tickets and pocketing the cash collected for co-pays. Um, and then we've oh. also seen, yeah, we've also seen uh, where the staff at the office have a friend at the bank who will siphon off a little bit of cash and maybe a couple of checks um, from the practice's deposit and put them into the practice oh, wait. personal wait. account. Wait, the the
0: bank friend is getting a, a cut of the, uh, the the take.
1: Exactly, and the thing is, because the pre- because the accountant did pro- did not provide input to good cash handling procedures and reconciling that you know the amount of the deposit needs to be matched the amount that was actually that's on the bank statement, which matches the amount in the daily close tally that left the practice. If those three don't match, you know, you smell a rat. Wow. But. Oh without the account- right, without the accountant being involved, this practice was able to do that, and um, and the the employee got away with it, well until she didn't. But um, you know people can be crafty, so you need good systems and good oversight to protect the practice, and uh, the accountant should be engaged to help. And then I think the last one would be just you know the chart of accounts. The chart of accounts is those categories in the profit and loss statement, and usually the practice will figure well. The accountant tells me what those categories should be, but in my experience, most of the time, they're vague, and uh, they 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 lump things together. like overtime won't be shown separately from salaries or oh, right, right, yeah, right. they put in an employed did. doctor salary in with everybody's salary. so it it basically means the profit and loss statement is a poor management tool,
0: not not real usable, right? So no. that kind of speaks to our earlier point, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah, correct. And I mean details matter when you're trying to manage money. You can't make sound decisions when you're looking at lump sum. So the devil's in the details. And um I think it's better to use a chart of accounts like the one that the Medical Group Management Association, MGMA, has developed. Um I always suggest that practices um get that one and, and implement it. It's got the right details for managing. And good. Yeah, then I guess the other details would be um, the columns in that P&L, which a lot of times are missing, but you want to sometimes have to guide your accountant to say, we need period to date compared to last year's period to date and um, year to date compared to last year to date and compared with budget. So makes a much better report.
0: Yeah. So I I think I agree with you. I I, I see this uh, oftentimes too. It's rare that an accountant will break out the cost center's like physical therapy or, or DME, unless the practice specifically asks for it, right? And, and and that's something that they that they really need to do.
1: They do, they do, and I think all these things we're teasing out illustrate the point you made earlier, which is good accountants provide guidance and they should provide you ideas to help manage your business and not only you know just calculate the revenue. Um, they're not just uh, calculators with arms and legs, so to speak. All
0: right. so. So clearly then these advisor types of accountants uh, are not Rapscallions.
1: Oh, Mike, you are on a roll.
0: That I am. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about where to find uh, these guys. I think it's safe to start by asking colleague that you, you trust, right? I mean, that, yeah, that's kind sure. of the go-to way of, of dealing things, right? Get a, yep. get a referral from somebody that you, you trust. Uh, and then you need to move on from there to begin to vet the accountant.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. It's the first step. And if nobody has a referral for you, you can contact your state's CPA society for assistance. All states have a C- society for CPAs. And they I even looked at a few for this, you know, preparing for this show. And a lot of them have guidance about how to choose an accountant. So there's some oh, nice, nice checklists there. Yeah. And then um, always you want to cross reference the, uh, the accountants that either your colleagues provide to you or that you find on the society website, cross-reference that with the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy to make sure that they are um, properly credentialed. And um, and then I'd probably take that list and look at their websites to look for a couple of things. Um, not just the list of services they offer, but honestly, I think the look of the site, and I'd love to hear your input on this, I think the look of the site says a lot about the culture of the accounting firm and how well they keep up with things. Because if it's really outdated, it kind of makes me wonder how current the firm is in general. Wouldn't, Wouldn't you think?
0: I, I agree with you, and, and this reminds me of, uh, this is a bit of, a, a, of a, a side conversation, but it reminds me of my, my partner that came in once, and I said, how, he went to a physician, and I said, how did it go? He said, not well. I knew it was going to be bad when all the magazines in the waiting room were six years out of date. That told me all I needed to know. I think you're kind of onto the same thing here with yeah. the website being way out of date. It just kind of shows a total lack of respect for those uh, for whom you work.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's one thing about being busy, but you know, if it's, if, if you haven't updated the website in five years or three years, you know, it's, it's, it's time and it does say, say a little about you. And then, you know, maybe some of that is even going to come through on what I would um, suggest after looking at the website, which is looking up the accountants on Yelp and on Google and just seeing what, um, clients say about them or what anybody is saying about them online, you know, cause that gives you a good yeah. sense of what they're like to work with.
0: I I completely agree. So let's say we've done that and now I think it's time to pick up the phone and make a call or two uh, because you're really not going to know if you want to engage a specific accountant until you have spoken with him or her, in my opinion, right? Right. So much of this is beyond ability and gets into the realm of, do I feel comfortable with this person? Is this somebody that uh, I know when I have a problem, I'm going to want to pick up the phone and and actually uh, contact?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you need to make sure that you can that you feel comfortable with the person you trust them and you have a decent relationship. It's got to feel right because the accountant is your advisor on money matters. I mean, let's face it. You've got to feel good about them and their advice and their, um, you know, how, how good of a job that they're going to do for you at, well, and as well, you need to make sure, I mean, we really haven't covered it yet, but how they charge, I mean, can you afford this person?
0: A- absolutely. And that gets us back to our earlier uh, conversation about my esteemed uh, profession, right? How are people charging? Are you going to yeah. be charged by the hour? Are you going to buy essentially a package of services for a flat fee or a monthly retainer? What, uh, what What are we doing there? And I think that those are all fair questions to ask up front.
1: Definitely, because you you've got to choose based on your needs. That's why we started with the needs list. Um, And that will also depend on your practice size and complexity. If you have two satellite offices in an ambulatory surgery center, you're going to have more financial complexity and management needs than if it's one office and no, no ASC. So sure. I did, I did a little research on hourly ranges for accountants um, nationwide. And it really does vary depending on a lot of what we've already talked about, which is, you know, ge- geography, the size of the firm and who you're dealing with. If you're dealing with the senior partner versus dealing with a an associate or a senior manager, that's, that's going to Vary, but the American Institute of CPAs surveys their members for hourly rates, and we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but but if you look at a firm with seven hundred fifty thousand to one point five million in revenues, because they, they slice and dice the rates by how big the firm is,
0: okay. the mid
1: range in um, in the study is that range of, of revenues. The hourly rates go from eighty dollars to about two hundred dollars. So if you're dealing with a senior partner, it's almost two hundred, and uh, if it's an associate, it's it's eighty dollars. So. Okay.
0: And I just, I just want to back up for a moment and, and tell people we want to make sure that they are paying for what, they, what they're receiving, right? If it's, it's bookkeeping work, then you should be paying a bookkeeper's rate as opposed to accounting work where you're paying a CPA rate. Yes, Correct?
1: exactly. Thanks for clarifying that because really there's two rate structures that we're looking at. How much are you paying for bookkeeping services? And then how much are you paying for the accountant services? Which And that may vary depending on if they're, if it's, they may have a different charge for business advisory versus a special project like evaluating your cash handling procedures. They may carry different rates, but it is, those rates are going to depend on who in the firm is doing the work. Okay, yeah. that makes,
0: so true. Okay, yep, that makes yep.
1: sense. So I think we've covered everything, Mike, haven't we? We, we talked about getting a referral from a colleague, uh, verifying credentials with the state CPA board. Uh, what else do we talk about? Determining your needs, list of needs, and uh, making sure that you have the, have the accountant actually advise you, not just do taxes and loan documents, because we don't just want the human turbo tax.
0: Absolutely, we do not want that. Uh, so we've covered the important... Uh, interviewing, uh, the importance of interviewing candidates to see if they meet the practice's needs, right? And we feel that we need to have the right relationship so we feel like we can pick up that phone and and call and and have confidence. And we also talked about the budget that we're being charged appropriately and we know what we're being charged, right? So there's no mystery there. We want everybody to have expectations set properly uh, before the engagement really begins.
1: Yeah, I agree. Take a look at them on look at their website, take a look at uh, on social media, Yelp and Google see see what's there and then the last thing I'd suggest before you go to a letter of engagement because I think it's going to be it's pretty similar Mike, right? uh with an right. accountant. You're just going to yes. get an outline letter of engagement. That's what I get from my accountant. Um you, you want to talk to a few of the accountant's clients, get a feel for how other physicians feel they perform and what it's like to work with them and even I would say most importantly, what's the most efficient way to communicate and work with them? I mean, if you can get some of that insight and lessons learned from other physicians, that is, um, that's a really oh, good thing.
0: Great, great point. And that, that reminds me, you know, folks should really do the same with with attorneys. Check check references is a smart thing to do. And find out what's the best way to communicate. Some people prefer uh, emails over voice messages, so forth. So that's a, that's a great point.
1: Good. I second that motion, agreed. And last but not least, I wanted to tell folks that in the show notes, <clears throat> we've got a handy checklist for, um, kind of summarizes the points of hiring an accountant but also provides some interview questions. And um, that would be at where? Soundpracticepodcast.com, in the show notes.
0: Excellent, I'm excited that we have uh, come to the end of our first, uh, first podcast here. So, court is dismissed.
1: Well, Mike, I think that wraps our first episode of the new Sound Practice Podcast. I hope we've provided some good direction for finding and working with lawyers and accountants.
0: We've certainly put some flesh on the bones. We have a couple of things in the show notes, which people can find at soundpracticepodcast.com. You mentioned a checklist for hiring and interviewing accountants.
1: Yes, I'm practical that way. I just love those checklists.
0: Fine. Characteristic. And you've got an article, How to Work with Healthcare Attorneys from the Journal of Medical Practice Management. Again, people will be able to find that in the show notes for this episode and all episodes at soundpracticepodcast.com.
1: Right. And if anyone has feedback for us or a question, they can certainly email us. And uh, Mike, tell us how they would do that.
0: Well, Tothi, they should send an email to feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. We'd certainly love to hear people's ideas for future episodes, so tell us what you want to know about. We'll be posting new episodes every other Wednesday with a periodic bonus episode dropped in just to surprise and delight you.
1: When was the last time you updated the policy for destroying sensitive patient data and the devices on which that data is stored? If it's been a while, you're not alone, but you do need to get to work because having an up-to-date plan in place for destroying not only patient data, but the devices on which it's stored is essential to managing and mitigating risk. On the next episode of Sound Practice, Mike and I explain how to fearlessly create this policy in five easy steps. We'll give you practical tips and an easy-to-follow plan That works. Don't miss the next episode of sound practice available wherever you get your podcasts or at soundpracticepodcast.com.
0: You've been listening to sound practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions about future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com.